yeah, it was for me, it was a lot of money, but I wasn't, it wasn't that I could not work anymore, but, but it was, it was a lot of money. I wasn't really that money driven. Money was and is still for me just to be free and to be able, you know, impact the world, to, to build things, to fulfill my fantasies, to be safe, uh, to not be in this position where I have to do what other people tell me. That was always important for me. I mean, maybe you don't want to, but if you want to become, uh, I, let me say now rich, but rich, I don't mean only financially, but yes. financially is a part. And if you want to become independent, if you want to shape the world in a way, I think you have to get out of what society teaches you to do in this yes. normal world. So yeah, welcome to uh, the Riches on Earth podcast. This podcast is about the ways and means to find and unleash your true happiness, finding your true north to make sure you wake up happy every day. So I actually want to have an interview with you and have a chat with you to understand more about you. Um, for the audience that uh, I'm speaking to, I just want to share that Yad is a classmate of mine um, on the uh, Broadcast Yourself course with Brian Rose on London Real. And um, I think throughout the journey, we've learned a lot about each other. We've learned about how Brian built his whole empire. And we are all going on this learning journey. Um, Yad, do you mind if I give you five minutes to introduce yourself to me and the audience? Of course. First of all, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Uh, I'm uh, really looking forward to our interview today. Um, and a quick introduction about myself. So I'm, uh, I started in the music industry when I was uh, about 18, 19 year old, years old. I started uh, first, me and my friends, we had, uh, we had like a band or like you could say a techno live act and we wanted to get on, on events to play. So then uh, nobody knew us and then uh, I just organized our own event um, and um, 3,500 people came and uh, then we started to produce music and on the second or third event which we organized then uh, there was an A&R who asked us to, to you know, they wanted to sign our songs and then I learned about A&R, these are like artists and repertoire managers who sign acts and music for the big labels. And um, then I wanted to be A&R as well. And that's how I came a little bit from music into business. So then my journey brought me to London and to Munich uh, and to Cologne, uh, where I first signed in London um, dance music. And then in Germany, I founded at Bertelsmann Music Group, BMG, one of the big five uh, major music companies at that time. I founded a hip-hop label and assigned a lot of big German artists and um, I had at one point the biggest hip-hop uh, label in Germany wow. and later on um, I went uh, from A&R which is like artist and repertoire signing artists to marketing the big international superstars for EMI. Uh, I marketed for example Robbie Williams, Katy Perry, David Guetta, Depeche Mode, Coldplay, Snoop Dogg, Beastie Boys and many more. And um, yeah, I did this for quite a long time uh, until um, I got the opportunity to become managing director for Tidal Music. Tidal Music is something like Spotify, but it's owned by Jay-Z and many other artists. And uh, it was 2012 when you know, streaming really uh, got off and uh, particularly for Germany because the, the right situation was cleared. And then I was managing director and that was the first time when I didn't market a living being, but I marketed a company. And for me, that was like a big uh, moment because I realized that I can 
with certain modifications do the same for companies, which I could do for artists. And I saw a business opportunity and I founded my own company. After one year, I left title and founded my own company and uh, doing it un since 2013 until today. And it's been really successful for me. Um, so I really help companies to grow. That's my business. And um, in the last year, I, I still felt some emptiness and uh, I wanted to do more. And I wanted to do the same, which I did for artists and for companies, kind of, kind of for everybody, because I, I discovered that for me, I really, you know, love my life when I learn and immediately teach the things I've learned to others. And I needed something which is you know, faster without like a huge marketing campaign between it. They can just learn and give and learn and give. And that's what I started my podcast, uh, which is called Business Artist. And yeah. That's a short summary of myself. Very short. Well, that's amazing. I mean, like hearing the stars that you're working with, the people is just amazing. But can I ask you, like, what's the difference between marketing a human being and marketing a company? Yeah, I mean, the biggest difference by far is um, that the company or the brand doesn't talk, doesn't have own ideas doesn't have a vision itself. So you can be far more creative uh, on one hand, because you know, when you work with an artist and you have like a creative, great marketing strategy, but the artist doesn't feel it, you can't really do it because I mean, it's the, the life of the artist. And in the end of the day, they have to be on board and if they don't feel it, they don't like it, they don't want it, you can't do it. And uh, so I could be far more creative myself um also um you know the the artist um could maybe grow older and have different interests or the artist grows older and the target group is not the same anymore uh with a company it stays kind of the same normally i mean also you you can change the brain but normally the target group stays the same for a very long period of time and uh, the the evolution of the company still is different because with an artist it's it's i mean it's changing now a little bit with streaming the whole and now tiktok and stuff the whole you know we might the music might change because of this the album format is not that important anymore it's more single based but still it's kind of always the same the artist produces music and then you then you market the music then producing music again marketing music with the company it can change totally the products can change, uh, you can go into different segments. So uh, from a marketing perspective, only from a marketing perspective, I think it's far more interesting. And from a business perspective, if the company is, uh, you know, growing, it can be far more lucrative. But uh, obviously, there are also advantages to work with artists, it can be very inspiring. These are great personalities, very charismatic personalities, uh, and they influenced me a lot. So there's a huge difference between us, those two. Wow, amazing. I mean, I'm in a similar industry where I do a lot of humans. And yeah, I find that it's not as easy as like, uh, they have human re emotions, they have preferences, some things that you work hours and hours for them, they don't like, you just waste all your time. Yes. Uh, yeah, I understand what you go through. And, and what's, I wanted to ask you, what's the thing that has changed over the years in sales and marketing for these guys, these big guys like Katy Perry, Robbie Williams, mm -hmm. what has changed? I was just wondering, do they still make money with, with all this piracy and with Spotify? Yeah, I mean, they, let's say, you know, I, I came into the recording music industry in 1997. 
So that was a, the golden age of music, yeah. Um, because in the like ten years before, something the CD were in, was introduced, and then you had unbelievable growth because everybody was buying the same music again, which they bought uh, on vinyl before. So music companies, you know, were making so much money. Artists was making so much money. I was an intern, you know, and on the second day. I was invited. We were driving with an artist with a Rolls Royce, uh, Rolls Royce through London, uh, you know, champagne parties. You yes. know, they didn't know what to do with the money. And then in 2000, Napster came and, uh, you know, uh, torrent and stuff and uh, everybody could get the music for free. So, you know, it was a huge, uh, uh, it was a huge decrease of the whole market. I think uh, when I started BMG in Germany, for example, uh, had like five or six uh, companies, one in Cologne, one in Munich, one in Hamburg, one in Berlin, even in smaller cities like Bochum, small city in Germany, where I, where I actually come from. So, uh, and, and you know, there were probably like 1,500 people. And when I left BMG in 2005 or 2006, uh, six, then there were joint venture even with Sony, but in 2005, there were maybe 300 people and only one company in Munich. And, uh, you know, so everything was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And um, also the artists uh, were feeling it. And at the beginning, before the CD really crushed, uh, the major in income from the artists was coming through CD sales. But then, because um, the music was free, kind of, there still far more people listened to music. So, the life became far more important. So the life income stream for artists increased massively, massively. The demand was bigger, so they could make the prices higher and far higher venues. So um, the music, recorded music, became more a marketing tool for the live venues or uh -huh. brand partnerships, you know. Also that increased a lot, uh, like deals with Pepsi, with Coke and so on. Hip-hop was very influential on this, later on dance music as well with the big DJs. Um, but then streaming uh, came, uh, streaming not anymore free, but Spotify and, uh, and Deezer and Tidal and Apple Music and Amazon streaming. And it, it's so cheap and so comfortable that it doesn't make sense really for people to do torrent anymore. So now this income stream is increasing again. Uh, and also now you get uh, another phenomena because before really the only important markets really were USA, Japan, Germany, England, maybe France. And that's it. And everything else was okay, nice to have, but don't, you don't really make money. But now with streaming and mobile devices in Africa, in India, in China, everywhere, you know, you have China, huge market. You have Africa as a huge market, you, uh, all countries together. You have India as a huge market, Russia, unbelievable big market, South America, huge market. So the income again is going like tripled uh, three times, four times, five times, six times more because all these countries are coming in and then you make quite some money with streaming again. So right now, uh, the other phenomena is that uh, the major music companies get more insignificant a little bit because in theory, the artists can do everything themselves. Distribution is nothing anymore. Before, distribution was a big advantage of the big labels, but now you just upload your song on Spotify. And marketing on, on social media, the artists often can do better than the big labels. So now the big labels are more investment companies. So there's a war for talent. So immediately, if somebody has some 
you know, uh, little success uh, on social media or something, the labels come in and buy the artist, you know, buy the, the rights of the artist. So for artists, it's a great time because they can get deals very quickly and very lucrative deals. And the labels are really fighting uh, to, to get the artist. And on the stock market, uh, you know, Spotify is extremely powerful, very successful. Universal now also the biggest major music company. Tencent, the Chinese giant, just bought 10%, for example, of Universal Music Group. So even there now, we see some evolution. So it's, it's a, you know, the business is changing all the time. And I think what will never change if you are an influential artist who has great talent, you will make money one way or the other. Wow. I mean, like, I was just, that's why I was just reading about uh, stories or not reading, but following people like Cardi B. Cardi B went from a struggling uh, person who was working at a club to multi-millionaire within the shortest period of time, yes. right? Like really, really short. Yes. Like people like uh, Quavo, Migos, so quick. They just go like from zero to the success rate is crazy. And with all that competition, I don't know how they do it. So I was like saying, I understand what you mean now. There's so many channels that they don't need people to sign them anymore. They can do everything themselves with a good manager. Wow. Yes. Yes, I mean, still a lot of people sign to the major companies because it's comfortable in a way and um, on a global level, they are organized. So I don't want to like bash the major companies. There are still um, advantages to sign up with them. Not everybody's doing them. I know very successful artists and label owners who don't sign with them. But uh, yeah, it's always a trade-off which you have to think about if you want to do it or not. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can see it in all aspects of life, you know, like, for example, I don't know, do you know, Greta Thunberg, this little girl who's doing the climate change speech. So yeah, she did this climate change speech uh, and she just said the sentence, how dare you? And uh, after that, you know, everybody knows her worldwide. So it can be really quick today. You just need to be in the right niche, say the right uh, comment, have the right music, have the right comment. And within a month, you can be a global phenomenon. That's, that's possible. But on the other hand, it can be very quick and you're gone again as well. Yeah, that's true. There's so many guys who've made it through YouTube, right? Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber. And yeah, they made out pretty, pretty quick. Wow, you're, you're, this space is challenging. You're a successful guy. And how do you end up in this? I wanted to know like between the, the age of 10 to 20, what went through your mind? I mean, in Europe, opportunities are scarce and it's hard to hit up a whole business in Europe because competition is stiff and people are known to, how do I put it? People are known to keep their jobs for a very long time, right? How did you get there? So I want to know from the youth, like 10 to 20, what were you like at home? Was your parents entrepreneurs? Were they pushing you every day to work hard, study hard or what were they like? For me, it was like this. My parents were kind of hippies and uh, very educated, but not business minded at all. So we moved into a very working class or even like you know poor area um because they i don't know they didn't want to be with elite people so I, I really grew up in you know tough environment streetwise uh, but i wasn't prepared for that at all from my parents who were kind of hippies and they didn't push me for anything really so i had to find my way and uh, even in school it was uh, on the schoolyard uh, you had to protect yourself so i I, from the beginning, networking was very important for me. So, you know, for example, I was often friends with the toughest guys in the school 
and maybe did their homework for them or uh, I wrote when we had the test, I brought mine quickly and after that I wrote them, I brought the test for them. So I noticed quickly that I have quite a smart mind and uh, I'm a quick thinker and I, and I use this for networking and to make my mark really. I had this competition gene in myself. Uh, first, my, my mother brought me into a school where I didn't get marks. We didn't, we didn't get any marks, uh, but I pushed her to change my school. I wanted to get marks. Always tried to find out something, sports, which I'm good in. I played football, but I was good, but not that good. Then I found out one time we were doing like long distance running in school. And I didn't know I was good, but we were just running. And I, I just won by like 200 meters something before the second guy. I said, oh, I can do this. Well, perfect. So I just, you know, signed up for a club when I was 12. And I stayed in this club and I, um, after one year, the best club of the city approached me. And that was also together with the club, there was a junior trains for Olympia team, uh, like a foundation. So I qualified for this as well. And they picked me up from school every day. And I had lunch there and do my, did my homework there. And then I was training. So I was really in this elite politics uh, environment my whole youth. And only then when I was like 16, partying came in. And that's uh, why I didn't continue and didn't, didn't become a professional long distance runner. Yeah, and then I really went full on on partying. But after like one year or something, the party itself became boring for me. So for me, the business aspect became more interesting. So how do they do the parties? How do they promote the parties? How, did, how do they choose the DJs? Why are these DJs coming? You know, as I told you in the beginning, we started, me and my friends started to produce music. Although I have to say, I can't do anything. Wow. I can't play any instruments. So I was rather giving the ideas. I was more the, the manager of the group, but still part of the group. And yeah, so that was my evolution. And, and I started to study then as well. Yeah, I was sitting there and they talked about accounting and you know, I was yawning. So I, I broke up my studies and just concentrated on the music business. But later on, uh, when I was 30, I continued my studies and even did a master in MBA. Then in the beginning also, I was always sleeping when accounting started. And, but then I thought if I don't master accounting, you know, I, I can't do my master. So I read so much accounting I, until I actually liked Wow. So that was my 10 to 20. Do you know that, I mean, just to share and just for the listeners to share that uh, I see clear signs of your vivid vision when you're young. Meaning number one, you kind of found out what you were good at. I mean, like there are a lot of uh, successful people who actually knew what they're good at when they're young. Meaning they, somehow they fell into it because they had no choice. Or somehow they did something and they just realized that he, they're really good at it. Like um, there are athletes like, I don't know if you know Thor from uh, Game of Thrones, Half Top Yon. Yes. He, from youth, he knew he was strong. And he knew that he was going to be the world's strongest man one day. Um, because he tried it and he found his strength. I realized I meet many, many people in my life for the last 10 years and they don't know what they're good at. They just knew that they studied for a course and they have to work in that course for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I found about you is that you had this rough vision that you were going to do music, but it actually happened that you could hit up a whole music business. And it's not some small business. It was like um, EMI group and all, which is big businesses. So somehow or rather it fell into place for you. I don't know how you did it, but maybe you attracted it into your life. I think so. I, I, I believe in this law of attraction, but if you create the momentum and you have not just to think, you have to feel it, you have to measure, manage your thoughts, but you also have to do massive action and create momentum and then you will attract it, I believe it. Wow. And then 
So what happened between the age 20 to 30? How do you use that interest and you actually got a job in the industry? How do you get there? As I said, you know, 18, 19, 20, there was a time when we did the, the live acts, uh, organized parties, and, you know, we got some, some fame around our city, uh, very, you know, it's a small city, it's not, it wasn't huge fame, but in this area, people knew us, so approached us also for gigs and for parties. And we did this until I was 22, um, but it didn't make big money and uh, kind of was stagnation as well. Um, but I needed the breakup with my girlfriend, kind of lied to me and cheated on me a little bit. So it was like, it was like a real crisis for me. And then I said, okay, now I do something totally different. And that's when I went to London. I mean, London was, you know, the time which really shaped me because first I sent, like I learned in school, you know, applications to the music companies. I didn't even get, a, get an answer. I called them, didn't get through. And then I thought, okay, just go there. So I, I went there, I rang, only went to reception. They didn't let me through. Um, they didn't open the door or they, I, I couldn't even talk to people, but I just kept on doing it. And I started with the big labels, you know, in Soho, Sony, BMG, Universal, and it was called Polydor at that time, Warner Music. But uh, yeah, there was no success. And then I went for the smaller labels. I had some talks, but they didn't ring me back. And I needed three months or something. But after three months, I rang at Logic Records. Logic Records was owned by BMG at the time, very small label, um, totally owned by BMG, but it was a subdivision for dance music. And uh, they had a two or three room office in Soho in London. I rang there and a guy called Lee Follows opened the door. And uh, I talked to him and, uh, and he said, yeah, you can, you can start as an intern. Where, can you start tomorrow? And I said, yeah, I can start tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow you start. So in the beginning, he was just giving me jobs like, um, you know, get making tea and copying and stuff. But uh, I always asked him questions. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? And after one week, he said, okay, from now on, you don't ask me anymore what to do. You just do what you think is right. And you don't do tea anymore. Just... Uh, I'm product manager and actually I didn't know that then. So uh, a month before I came, they fired the whole team and he was the only guy there until a new boss would come. So he was also quite new and he told me, okay, I'm the marketing guy. You want to sign artists. So you're the A&R. So just, you know, listen to music, sign artists. And that's what I did. And, um, and then a month later or something or two months later, um, the new boss came and he also asked me, so what's your job? I said, I'm A&R. Okay, you're A&R. So then it was official, I was a &R, and uh, I really, you know, owned this and, uh, you know, worked with the existing artist and tried to sign new stuff and uh, listened to all, the, to all the hits all the time and, uh, read, uh, and that, uh, read all the newspapers. At that time, newspapers were still in magazines uh, about dance music and uh, so I think after you know half a year in London I was an expert in what is big in London how the London music scene works how how England works I really was quite fast in this and I actually an art an existing artist uh, and uh, made a song together with him and it was number 10 it was a big hit the artist was very grateful to me still today He's still an influential UK producer and uh, his name is Jamie White. 
and the song at that time was called Sounds of the Wickedness. Uh, and it was, you know, the whole BMG worldwide recognized this 22-year-old guy being there and uh, having a hit. And uh, then I could also start my own label, not owned by me, but run by me as a sub-label of this label, which was uh, Speed Garage, which was big at that time in London. And yeah, so I did this for like two years and uh, until BMG in Germany asked me to, if I want to start my own label at them, bigger one with more budget. And first I said no, and I, I wanted to go home. I was like a little bit homesick. So I went home and then I did like a world travel. And, and when I came back, I wanted to study. Um, and then when I studied, I met a guy who I knew from school and he said, so what are you doing? And I said, yeah, I just started studying. And you, yeah, I just finished studying. I'm going to be lawyer next month. And I felt bad in a way. I said, do you really want to study? And I said, nah, let me call BMG again if I can still come. And I called him and said, yeah, you can still come. So when I was 25, I, I started at BMG Germany with, with my own hip hop label. Now I wanted to do hip hop because I always wanted to make music, which is like close to the streets. And in, in London, it was speed garage. In Germany, it was hip hop. So I started the hip hop label. I needed two years. So the first two years I signed artists, but they didn't really become successful. But then after two years, we signed the biggest artist, hip hop artist in Germany. Uh, it was clear he's going to be successful. Uh, so the, the challenge was rather to sign him because all the labels wanted to sign him. And I think we just uh, took the biggest risk, offered the biggest money and also signed some of his friends <laughs> uh, to get him. And yeah, so after that, the label was big and all the other artists which I signed then always become success became successful. Yeah, and uh, when I was 28, I kind of felt uh, empty and, um, and not that happy anymore. There was a lot of pressure all the time. I was already reporting to the president of Germany a lot i think for 28 already and i couldn't really handle handle it the, the success to be honest um i wasn't prepared for this and also the industry changed a lot then the napster was in and i knew already you know now you have to go if you really want to change the business now it's not about music right now now it's about tech more and i wanted to do more so i, I left the company when i was 28 i wanted to leave it but i needed two years to really do it and then i studied again and, and did my master and that that was 20 to 30 basically wow and so you said you really made enough money when you're 28 because of all these successes uh not i didn't make enough money for myself i just got you know the label was again owned not by me if, I, if it would have been my own label i would have been millionaire by then <laughs> but uh as i as it wasn't my label i think i, I earned about you know, I got a lot of bonuses. So my normal salary was about not that high, maybe it was 50K or something. But then I was also getting like 50 to 70K, I think, on bonuses when I was 27, 28 in those years. I didn't really know what to do with the money. Um, I had like a normal car, no big, I didn't really, I never needed much of material yeah. stuff. Back in those days, uh, it was quite a lot of money, right? Yeah, it was for me, it was a lot of money, but I wasn't, it wasn't that I could not work anymore, but, but it was, it was a lot of money. I wasn't really that money driven. Money was and is still for me just to be free and to be able, you know, impact the world, to, to build things, to fulfill my fantasies, to be safe, uh, to not be in this position where I have to do what other people tell me. That was always important for me. Uh, yeah, so I, it wasn't because of money that I left. It was just because I, I wanted to do something new. I needed, I, need, I needed more new input, really.
Yeah, but amazing story. I mean, number one, people who are big achievers and great achievers of what they're doing and know what they're doing, they actually have a vision. You actually went to knock on doors. You actually went to meet up with people who didn't allow you. I mean, people who have a smooth life will not do that. Like, you've probably been through it and you know it. And that's why you are who you are today. It's, it's awesome. And you even know how to challenge yourself where people today, once they're in a very comfortable role, they won't challenge themselves anymore. They just want to stick it through, pay their bills, uh, see their children at six o'clock. It's just normal. They don't want to do anything else. Um, yeah, that's a typical thing which society teaches you. But then you will never, you know, you will never, I mean, maybe you don't want to, but if you want to become, uh, I, let me say now rich, but rich, I don't mean only financially, but yes. financially is your part. And if you want to become independent, if you want to shape the world in a way, I think you have to get out of what society teaches you to do in this yes. normal world. Yeah, that's why this is called the richest on earth, because it's basically trying to find the richest people who have the right mindset, the right everything. Um, I don't know if you know, but like people like Anthony Robbins, right? He makes millions selling books and he doesn't take a single cent. He just donates everything away. He doesn't need it. That's just crazy. Um, yes. That's amazing. I want to ask you, Jan, what's your biggest regret from the time you can remember till today? What's the biggest regret? Probably you could have been a bigger leap. You could have jumped further if you took that, that risk. Yeah, you know, I have no regrets. There are lots of things which I could have been better. Um, and there are a lot of things which I... When I discover them, I think, why haven't you done that the last 10 years? You know, for example, nutrition um, and many other stuffs where I think, you know, if you would have done this when you've been 18, you know, you would have had far more energy. And, and why have you acted so stupid at this time? And why haven't you been more patient? But, um, you know, if you, <laughs> you can always say that in, in hindsight, but if you haven't arrived at this point, you, I, I wasn't ready for it. And um, I, don't, I don't believe really in regrets because um, if you're not ready for it, you can't do it. You yeah. know? And um, I, think, I think I always go after my dreams. So if I wouldn't go after my dreams, I would regret it. But I think I always went after my dreams. And even if I failed and I did fail, yeah, I, which I didn't go into yet was between a and Ring, for example, so signing artists and then marketing artists, I started to be, uh, to found my own label and also be an artist myself. And I totally failed with this, for example. Um, and, and it was tough on me, really tough. And, uh, but still, I don't regret it because I went after my dream. You know, I would regret it if I would have never done it and still would have this dream in me which i want to fulfill and i think maybe now it's too late then i would regret it but everything uh, which i do and take the risk and which i normally i am like this then i don't regret oh amazing I, I mean don't worry about it i think regrets are just part of the game and if you can oversee it it might not be a regret it might be a an accomplishment for you i i think you're a music guy you've probably watched the life story of avicii uh, yes. have you have you watched that i mean he wanted to be big, he wanted to be famous, but after he became famous, he hated it. He just wanted to get out of it so much. Um, for me, on a very, very small level, it's not comparable to Avicii at all. But for me, it was a little bit like this when I was very successful with 28 and I got lots of attention. Everybody was coming to me. When I went to an event, 
like everybody came to me, showed my hands and stuff, and I, I couldn't handle it. I absolutely couldn't handle it. So I, I could feel with Avicii, it was the same times millions. And uh, I could already see on a very small scale how how much it takes out of you if you can't handle it, if you're not prepared for it. So I, I could totally feel him and I really felt sorry for, for him, of course. Yeah, I, I watched that, that movie like two times or three times just to remind myself that, I mean, I don't think we'll hit that kind of scale, but that guy hated no. it. He hated it. Yes, yes. And you know, that's what I also noticed. Um, you know, for example, with, with the artists I work with, the one who could handle fame by far the best was David Guetta. Yeah, but yeah. you know, he became famous with 40 or 43 or something. That's when he became famous and he already was DJ for 20 years. So he really did it not for the fame, but for his passion. And then he just, just because he stayed in, stayed in, stayed in with 40, but his personality was already developed. Then he became famous and then he could handle it easily. And you know, when we met him, he was sitting with us on the table, having lunch, dinner, as a normal guy and just talking to us like a colleague, you know, a totally normal guy. And, and that was impressive for me. But it also showed me that fame is something you should be very, very patient with. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think he was pretty famous to the uh, niche crowd, to the, the electro yeah. crowd early stage. But it was only when he mixed up with um, uh, mainstream guys like, was it Steve Aoki or what? I can't remember, Wiz Khalifa or something that he became well, famous. I think uh, a big one was uh, with the, all the hip hop guys, right? Um, I mean, yeah. I did this, the album uh, we did with him, the first one, which was, was really on a global level successful. He had like all the hip hop guys in there, urban, urban and R&B. And then it was like unbelievable, you know? Yeah, he it became was, famous. Wow. Well, I mean, like I, I would die to have a chance to just sit down with people like this because the kind of skill he's seen, the kind of fame he gets, and to still be a normal guy to sit next to you and have lunch with you is like crazy. Yes. And, and can I ask you like, what's your biggest achievement? Like all these years, what was the biggest lead that you've, you feel proud of? Um, I think um, the most proud or I would say satisfied I'm, that I'm financially independent um, and that I'm able to, you know, give my wife and my daughter the possibility to develop themselves, to get good education, the best possible for them, for my wife, for my daughter mainly, of course, and um, that she can, you know, go horse riding and do, do what she loves. Um, that's, I think, I'm most proudest of and satisfied, I would say. Wow. Yeah. How old is she? If you, uh, if you ask me about things I did, um, then I, I think it's still going to be, uh, it's, it's in the future. The biggest one will be in the future and it will be in, con in connection with what I'm doing right now because only now I think I really found my purpose, you know, which is really like growing every day and uh, you know really without any barrier in between taking what i'm learning and giving it to others you now as a constant flow i think i discovered that this is what really satisfies me what i'm good at and um, i only discovered it now so i think this will be my biggest success when i 
you know, grown this in a real, in a real movement. Wow. I mean, you know that I, I feel the same. The proudest thing I have for me is I have an awakening. I, I kind of finally know what I'm doing over the last few years. And I finally know what I'm really good at. I used to be just lost, just working really hard. But I never knew what was I doing it for. How do I improve? I never knew you had to look back to look forward, like study your past to study for everybody's talking data, right? But what, what's the data about? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think the best is still to come. So what, what, what did you find out where you, get, where you are good in? Um, so as I mentioned, I, I realized that I was good at uh, finding the best out of people like yourself. I mean, I've been doing recruitment for 10 years and whenever I was in a bad situation or I was feeling a lot of bad luck, all I did was to make appointments to meet people and just understand the difficulties they face and understand mm -hmm. that my life is not that tough at all. That's mm -hmm. all I did. And uh, many, many people inspired me. And, and again, it's kind of like the same as you. Um, the inspiring people tend to have had stories that are way worse than me. They knocked on doors, they cold called, uh, they begged to see somebody, but they were not allowed. And we never had to go through that. I've never been through that. I've never been poor ever in my life, theoretically. So um, whenever you feel tough and whenever you struggle, just meet a guy who's had it even harder and you'll find that life is way better. <laughs> yes. yeah. And maybe you can help the other one as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you absolutely are helping somebody else whenever you show vulnerability. Um, yes. Yeah, I wanted to ask you the other thing was like uh, you're saying uh, with all that you've achieved so far, where do you see your future? What, what do you think you can give back to society? What are you going to change? Yeah, I mean, um, as, as I said, I think um, what I really, what I'm good in, I noticed that also, like you said, like you just said, now looking at my past, you know, my successes were always connected to making others successful. Yeah, and uh, first it were, were the artists, then it were the companies, and now uh, I'm working on giving everybody the chance to benefit from me, helping them to become successful. Um, and that's, I think that's what I can give to the world. Um, I also think it's important for the world that our consciousness increases, you know, that we have a shift in consciousness, that we cooperate, cooperate more, that we get over competition. Also, as I said before, at this competitiveness in myself. And uh, I don't think competition is, is, is all bad, but I think uh, cooperation is kind of the higher level, you know, like uh, I, I read a book about trees, and trees also compete for light, for example, for water. But uh, when there's uh, another tree is sick, for example, uh, or when there is like uh, even disease going on in the forest, then they cooperate. And uh, they even sometimes then stop growing so another tree can grow. Uh, because um, if the whole forest is not healthy on the long term, and trees live very long, so they have a very long term view, it's not good for them either. So they compete only until a certain level. Then the next higher level is cooperation. And I think that's what we have to learn as human beings as well. 
And uh, yeah, so I'm interested in, in stuff like group flow, you know, like if you, for example, sometimes at seminars and then you have uh, a lot of people in there, there's a different energy and, and to learn more about this energy with many people together, group flow, cooperation, higher consciousness. I think that's, this shift is going to come anyway. I think it's necessary um, and I want to be part of making this happen. Wow. I think you probably heard about the soil thing in a book thing from our other classmate, Aaron, is it? Aaron Henderson. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Such, uh, wow, that's interesting. And my last question I wanted to ask you is like, how do you think we overcome the problems that we are facing on the internet? Like, there's so many internet coaches that are saying like, I'll help you become successful, I'll help you become successful. There's so many of them. How do me and you differentiate and how do we really add value? I, I always pondered about this. How do we prove to people that we can add value? What I believe in is the following. First, like we learned, you know, it's very much about the niche. Right? Or many people have the vision to, you know, become Tony Robbins, uh, Brian Rose, uh, Lewis House, but you can't go Gary Vee, but you can't go for this big general I improve you to make better life in the beginning. In the beginning, you have to start with wine, like, uh, like Gary Vee or something, with a very niche thing, and then get your thousand true fans, like Brian Rose is, uh, was teaching us. So really, um, you know, find people who are maybe like you or look up to you, can learn from you, uh, make it as micro as possible, and own this niche. I think that's that's important. But even that is it's probably a little bit difficult in the beginning because you're doing, doing it all in your mind yes. in the beginning, you know? So I think just start. And even in the beginning, if like we are doing now, start it, it, there's no problem to still adapt and modify and learn. And maybe somebody starting with, um, you know, uh, bicycles and in the end they're doing a podcast, uh, which is more based on interior design, who knows? So, you don't have to start with what you end up with and uh, the journey is is uh, the goal and on the journey uh, if we learn all the time we will find out what we have to do to stick out you just have to start as well so if you start with a blue dots business and uh, you find out and you talk to people and you knock on people's door and want to sell them blue dots and you find out nobody wants blue dots but People every day, one person is asking you about green dots. And then you think, oh, maybe green dots is a good idea. And then you start to do green dots and shift to this business. You find, oh, that's a great business. You would have never found out that green dots is a big business if you wouldn't have started with blue dots, you know? So um, I, I don't have the answer to say, okay, that's how we stick out. But I believe that I will um, manifest and attract, you know, attention and awareness from people if I will keep on doing the journey and put the energy in it. I absolutely agree with that. I mean, the biggest successes I've had or anybody who has had is when they are desperate. In, in a way, you're desperate. You had to, you moved to London. You didn't know anybody. It was then that you had your biggest break. But today, because you are kind of living a, a relatively safe life, you have enough to feed your wife. And you know? if I ask you, hey, Jan, will you go knock on another guy's door again? You'd be like, uh, I'm not sure. Right? Well, well, you know, knocking... <laughs> For the podcast now, you know, as we learned, I'm knocking on other people's doors. And uh, I still have this hungriness and, if you want, desperateness in me. Sometimes I'm fighting with myself 
yes. so is it good or is it not good? Because yes. sometimes it's done. Why are you not relaxed? I mean, nothing in the outside world could be better. You know, if your if your wealth is ten times more, you know, it would have no impact on your feelings. Yes. So why are you not relaxed? You know, you can be relaxed. On the other hand, uh, as you said, you have to have some desperateness to move things. So I'm already, that is one of my personal development goals that I, I want to become more relaxed, but on the same time, keep the hunger. And, and I think one, one important thing is, uh, you know, you have to have this higher goal. Uh, the desperateness should not now come to, to make my living, to make my mark in life, to break through, but now my desperateness has to become from really making an impact. Yes. You know, from being relevant, from doing, leaving a legacy. I'm working on it to make this part of my mind, my soul, my heart. It's not there yet, but I'm in the process. That's my goal to make it part of me, you know, and that's where my desperate comes from, desperateness. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I, I, I think I align with you a lot. Like the biggest achievements I get on a daily basis is I get to give uh, people who are less fortunate jobs. So I, I like to hire guys who don't have good grades. I like to mm -hmm. hire guys who are very left-sided, meaning they're willing to freelance, they were willing to push the ideas, they were not the kind of guys who wanted just a, a fixed salary, a fixed job, and yeah, that is the, and, and they get misjudged. They always get judged as uh, people who cannot sit at their desk, people who don't work hard, because they're always moving around. Yes, nice, I like this. I like that you're doing this. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't believe that marks are necessarily a good indicator. You know, it shows a little bit, I think, good academics, good academics shows good discipline. Which is important. But it's not, it's not everything, you know? Yeah, I think most of the biggest music artists were rebellious in school. They, they never understood why were they in school, but they just wanted to create music. They wanted to create hype. Yes. But also, I think also I know some entrepreneurs and successful business people who were rebel rebels at school and didn't have good marks. You know. I, I wanted to wrap this up. Um, just wanted to understand how people could find you. How can people reach out to you? How can people just uh, have a chat with you or uh, get you on their podcast as well? If you want to have me on my podcast, write me an email at hello at janmelhouse.com, J-A-N-M-E-H-L-H-O-S-E.com. Um, if you want to listen to my podcast, it's the Business Artist Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, etc. Um, then I have the site businessartist.club. There you can join the business club, uh, business artist club. Get on my mailing list. You get three videos, bad video quality. I will renew them, but the content is really helpful and good. Uh, how to you know discover your purpose and make a business out of it. And um, then on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, every, everywhere, my name, Jan Melhaus, you can find me. I will, I'll post everything below on my uh, iTunes, on my Spotify. I wanted to ask you, in the audience, who would be the best people that you can add value to? Who will you help the most? Would it be people who are looking at just pure business or would it be people who are looking at business within music industry? Yeah. Not music industry. Um, I think the core target group for me where I can really add value is if you are an employee and you, you want to become an entrepreneur, if you feel, and also if you feel that you haven't really fulfilled your full potential, these are the people who really will benefit from it.
I understand that. Um, okay, thank you very much, Jan. I appreciate you on my podcast. Um, thank you, Jeremy. I'm Thanks gonna, for having me. It was really fun. Thank you so much. I'm going to link everything across so that everybody can find you. And I hope you can add more value to this world together.